Welcome back to another session of Better Podcasting with me. I'm SP. This is a streamed and recorded casual conversation with hobby and passion podcasters to share their experience, knowledge, and joy of podcasting. Now, once this live stream is over, I'm going to take the recorded files because we're podcasters and we record everything and turn it into a podcast as requested by the Better Podcasting community. Now, Better Podcasting is a project by Stephen John Drew and myself to help hobby and passion podcasters start their podcasts and make their existing projects better, thus better podcasting. Now, the past week, it's been pretty loaded for me. My dad had a heart procedure. My mom came down with COVID. I fixed one of my gas law mowers so I could sell it. And I fixed a leaking shower, not to mention we covered She-Hulk premiere on Disney Plus over on my other podcast, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I'm just glad to be able to be chatting tonight with another podcaster. But first, before we get there, I want to tell you that if you are a hobby or passion podcaster, I am interested in chatting with you. And if you want to schedule a time to chat with me about your podcasting experience and your podcast, please send me an email, stargatepioneer at gunnageek.com, or approach me on DM on Twitter or Discord, and we'll arrange for a date to have you on in the future. Now, for today, I'm fortunate enough to chat with an energetic podcaster and audio enthusiast. Red Scott has been involved in podcasting since at least winter was coming in 2011 with the start of Game of Thrones. He's had at least three genre podcasts with boars, gore, and swords on Game of Thrones. Doesn't sound like anything to me about the HBO series Westworld and failure to adapt on book to film adaptations. He's also dipped his toe into that minefield of political podcasting. Red also is interested into refining the audio side of the house and likes to geek out about microphones, DAWs, and audio chains. Welcome to the chat, Red. Thanks for having me. Thanks for agreeing to come on. I have uh, listened to your shows. You're, as I said, very, very energetic. Oh. When you said energetic, I was like, oh, especially since I feel like on Boys Going Swords, I'm the calmer one. I'm the voice, I'm the <laughs> voice of reason comparatively. But yeah, I get, got a bit of zip. Yeah. So what inspired you to start podcasting? Oh, great question. I do stand-up comedy. I still do that. That was still my focus. And it was 2011. And I'm sure your listeners are very well aware. That was like pre-serial. That was pre, you know, sort of the podcasting wave that really hit in 2014. And there was this little podcast called WTF with Mark Marin that was hugely popular. But it became very apparent that this was a guy, and if you're not aware of Mark Marin and his standing in comedy, like this was a guy who was like about to break for like 20 years. And at this point, he was, I think, in his early 40s. It hadn't happened. And, you know, if you listen to those very early episodes, you can tell he's very angry. But what happened was this was a way for people to be in touch with him, to keep up with him, to stay in contact with him when in between the years when he would like come to town and people would see him do stand up. And so I was immediately like, this is such an amazing tool. Like this is something that I clearly need to jump on. And I started that podcast after looking at the iTunes for Game of Thrones. I just searched Game of Thrones and iTunes and it brought up a few podcasts and most of them terrible audio 
And even the ones that were trying to be funny were not very funny at all. So I found Ivan Hernandez, who is another stand-up podcast guy. And I was like, hey, let's try and do this. I just want to figure out how to do audio editing. I have no idea what's going on here. I have no experience with it. I bought a couple microphones and uh, I think a Zoom R16 is what I started with. Cause just because I couldn't figure out how to get the DAW to work on the computer. I absolutely couldn't figure it out. And so I was like, oh, this thing's self-contained. I don't need a computer to work. I can just press record here. It'll go to an SD card. I can figure out the rest later. And we intended to just do the first season. And, I would, and it would teach me how to do audio. That's all I wanted from it. We named it Boris Going Swords, which is a terrible name. You're the first person to get it right ever in the history of the show. <laughs> And so we had released about six episodes. And at that point, we were doing, we were getting 600 downloads a week just off of people searching Game of Thrones. There's no advertising. I had like 100 people following me on Twitter. There's nobody knew about it. And then one day I check our numbers and it had been downloaded 20,000 times that day. And I was like, what the, what is happening? And I just like Google and like people start texting me. And there was the tech blog, Boing Boing, which was very big at the time. I don't know if you're familiar with it, mm-hmm. but the editor who I now know and is a friend, a guy named Jason Weisberger, had literally, there were so few, he listened to every Game of Thrones podcast and he was like, this one's the best one. And so he plugged us on the front of his page and we went from, you know, completely unknown to a very sizable audience that a large part of which sustains to this day, House of the Dragon just started. And like a lot of those people who, ha- you know, haven't been around for a few years, came back and are listening to the podcast. And it's, it's great. It definitely basically gave me my career in podcasting. That's great. So just for your information, Better Podcasting is part of a network called Gonna Geek. We used to have a podcast on our network called Tyrion's Landing, mm-hmm. and they were a Game of Thrones podcaster. And their claim to fame was also through articles, but uh, there were three or four women. And whenever... Jason Momoa came up, they would say in unison, Momoa. (laughs) That seems appropriate. Yeah. But it also helped that Game of Thrones was just a huge hit and you had a lot of people that were looking into it and stuff like that. The podcast that inspired me to podcast was on Battlestar Galactica. And as you can imagine, that's even before you did Game of Thrones, right? Wow. So yeah, they got in on that and they were getting tens of thousands of downloads per episode on a show that was on a, not even a premium network. It was on sci-fi, right? And so they were doing great. And those are my podcast mentors that were on that show. I grabbed one for a co-host to start out my first podcast, just to learn audio editing and how to podcast and stuff like that. That was Voices of Defiance. We had a riot with that show. We got to interview all of the main cast, as well as after the show was over, the showrunner came on. And to this day, he had a plan for next season, and the only place you can get that information is our episode. Yeah, we had a, that's, that's really cool. That's really fascinating. We had on, on Boars Going Swords, we actually, the TV show Why the Last Man, which was a huge graphic novel, and it mm-hmm. came out. It was an, it's an excellent show. It's an excellent single-season show that unfortunately didn't get renewed. And we were very lucky that the showrunner ended up, Eliza Clark, ended up listening to the podcast. And so she similarly came on and talked about her plan for the the next season that she was never able to do. So very similar, very similar paths, you and I. Yeah. She was following the comics pretty well on that, wasn't she? Yeah. I mean, I think she did an incredible job of sort of updating the most 2000 and, oh, now I'm blanking on the year. Was it 2006? 
that came out originally. It ended in 2008. I forget when the first comic came out. But she did a great job of updating it while staying very true. Obviously a huge fan of the comics. And if you have not seen it, Why the Last Man is one of my favorite shows of all time, even though it's a single season. I like the apocalyptic version of it. I'm not sure about the longevity of the world with the science and stuff like that, but maybe that got hammered out in the comics. I haven't read it yet. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we'll see. And then you also mentioned in R16 was just talking over on the R podcasting subreddit to somebody that said, I'm using an R16. It was gifted to me. It was free. It's all (laughs) I got to use. Can I do this with it? I was like, yeah, you can. I do have a question for you because I've never used it. How are the preamps on it? Oh, I mean, they're fine. They're fine. One of my biggest things about reading audio stuff, and it's only the last few years, the pandemic really, that I've come to audio as a hobby, and I really care about this stuff. But even when people are talking about some interface that does not have great preamps, let's say the, you know, the old UM2 or something like that, if you are getting started out, I honestly believe that there's no combination. If you have an XM8500 and a UM2, there's no preamps that work, that aren't broken, that are so bad that it'll be an impediment to you growing an audience in podcasting. So the R16 preamps, not great. Like, they're fine. They're, they're honestly, I mean, when I go back and listen, though, the, the noise floor of the R16 preamps is not the biggest audio sin I am committing. So it's not what grabs my attention. <laughs> I know. I listened to my first episode. I'm like, ooh, no. My yeah. first episode that I produced myself, my first episode that I was on, uh, actually, it was the Battlestar Galactica podcast. Mm-hmm. I sound great because I was on their gear. I was in person. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. So the other thing that you mentioned, you're a stand up comic. Tell me a little bit about that. Are you still going out? How often do you go out? And what's your routine like? Yeah. So, I mean, the stand-up comedy is something I've been doing for a long time. I'm actually, if people are listening to this, I'm going to be featuring at the San Francisco Punchline the week starting October 4th through the 8th, I believe. So if you're in the Bay Area, I will be out there for that. That'll be a good time. But yeah, I mean, I still go out, do independent shows all the time. It's, uh, you know, basically I had gotten to the top of a small market, San Francisco, And came out to New York to sort of break into this. And I am still very much in the process of doing that. Turns out nobody's heard of me out here, which is fine. (laughs) But that's um, also if you're listening to this and produce an independent show anywhere, I will come and do it. I would like to do more stand up. Uh, Yeah, I, I was somebody who was actually very careful during the pandemic. And that has I mean, it's definitely been hard to sort of ramp back up post pandemic. Mm hmm. A lot of people are finding that, but I have a hunch within six to 12 months, things will be mostly back to normal unless this winter is another hard winter. We'll yeah. see. All right. So you came up with the name Boars, Gore, and Swords. You mm-hmm. said you didn't particularly care for that. How'd you come up with a name? I mean, we, we did try and like, we sort of riffed on names. We had a pretty big list. I was partial to the imps, which I also think would have been or taste eventually but when we were looking at names i think the name that we came down to was and again keep in mind we were just doing this for fun mm-hmm. but the the original title that we liked was boars whores and swords oh, which is yeah. there's a line in the second episode that jamie says where he makes a joke referring to that and and what what i realized is at the time iTunes would censor 
the second word in that. They still kind of do, from what I've heard. I haven't kept up on that, but I certainly know it was the case at the time. And so, you know, we just, we slotted gore in there, which makes it even more unwieldy and harder to say. So, but you know, it's easier to tell people about it in public. So I guess that's a little bit better. All right. So you continued your HBO fetish and you started a podcast. Doesn't sound like anything to me on the Westworld universe. How did that name come up? Well, oh, that, that name, I was shocked it wasn't taken. So that's doesn't sound like anything to me is a key twist moment that comes in that podcast. Actually, when we started the podcast, we didn't know that. It uh, doesn't sound like anything to me is what happens when one of the robot characters looks at something from outside the robot world and, you know, they're programmed not to process it. So they say, doesn't look like anything to me. So we had a podcast called Doesn't Sound Like Anything to Me. That's an interesting story because a problem we were running into with Borsgorn Swords is that we did it weekly. We still do it weekly. Uh, it's very dumb of us. But because it's a weekly podcast, when the show would be on, the listenership would be like eight times what it is in the off season, which is fine. We still had a very dedicated uh, listenership. And I'll say as an aside that if you're doing a Patreon, I found that the Patreon numbers didn't go up much when the show came on. The people who are just there for the TV show tend to be, not be, in my case, what I found was the hardcore fans. Obviously, for advertising, those numbers matter. But when you're sort of building a community, the people who are just there for a part of it probably aren't going to be the center of that community. But what we found with advertising was, you know, advertisers were, we couldn't go to them and say, well, the last season, when the show was on, we had these crazy numbers. They wanted to give us ad numbers based off of the listenership that we had in the off season. And we were just like, no, we're not doing that. And with doesn't sound like anything to me that is a Westworld podcast. I was hoping two things. One, I was hoping that was going to be the next big HBO show. It had started off and just like taken off like a rocket right at the beginning. And the idea with that was to have a feed that only had episodes just for when the TV show is on. And so that hopefully we could go back to advertisers and say like, hey, we've got these crazy numbers for the last episodes that were aired, and we've got new upcoming episodes that are airing. And a couple problems that we did not foresee. Number one, I don't know if you're familiar with Westworld, uh, mm -hmm. it did not come out yearly. It is a every other year podcast. And then it sort of fell off <laughs> every year with its audience, which made it also hard to get advertisers interested. And though we had very good numbers for that by, I think, most people's standards, it wasn't near what we were getting for a Game of Thrones. So it ended up, we still use that feed, but it's essentially just Boar's Gorn Swords and we, you know, do the Westworld episodes over on that feed, which is still very fun. But so that was sort of a failed experiment is how that one came about. Okay. I was particularly interested in the names because usually with a TV show or film or uh, universe IP on the screen, you have something to indicate the name of the universe in the name of your show, whether it's Game of Thrones or Westworld, or in my case, Defiance, Voices of Defiance, which I'm sure has been abused by everybody trying to look at it from a political standpoint or a religious, spiritual standpoint, but we did it from the TV show standpoint. I still have the URL. I still have the podcast out there. So it is what it is. I have not been approached for hey, how much you want to sell this for yet. 
but I anticipate that at some point in time. So anyway, I was curious as to the fact that you don't have the name of the property in the titles. You have very similar uh, lines from the properties, but you don't have the name in the property. So I was, I was really wondering. That's actually not true. So I didn't bring that up, but that is another thing that I just started doing in the beginning. And I'll get, Liberty, I'll get to your comment in a second. Hey, Liberty, by the way. But if you look up my podcast, it is Boars Going Swords colon a Game of Thrones podcast. That is what it is listed as. And also, the other one is doesn't sound like anything to me, colon, a Westworld podcast. And as I mentioned, we started getting listeners basically from just people searching the name of the show. And for, I mean, it's I, I think that's one of those things where the reason to have the show is because that's what people are looking for. People are searching on the internet for the name of that show. And I do think it is a crucial way for people to find you, especially when you're starting up, to not be sly about it, to just say, no, it's, it is a Game of Thrones podcast. <laughs> and I'm surprised we did that naively, and that has never gotten us in trouble. Nobody's contacted us about it. It hasn't broken any podcast clients because it's a crazy long name. It's worked out pretty well for us. I will say that one thing I did not realize for a very long time, and I still don't quite understand what's happening, is, are you aware that you can just change your podcast title whenever you want? I've done it several times with multiple shows. Oh, on Boars Goran Swords, I still change the title anytime we cover a new show. It's always Boars Goran Swords colon, and for a while it was Boars Goran Swords colon, a Why the Last Man podcast, uh, for the exact reason I'm listening. But it breaks in the Google catalog. I don't know if it still does, but somebody was commenting me and like they couldn't, it didn't work with the client. And it took me a while to realize that basically there's now an entry for every time I've changed the name in the Google podcast client catalog. So I try, I'm less, for a while there, I would just change it for whatever reason. Because I was like, there seems to be no problem with this, which surprises me, honestly. But I've laid off on uh, being so, I still did it for the House of the Dragon, but I don't do it so uh, casually, wantonly. So there's on... Libsyn, which I use for most of my shows, this show is not hosted on Libsyn, it's hosted on podcasts. But for Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is a Marvel show, we did that show originally for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., mm -hmm. and I was surprised that we got Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., but we did. I even got have the URL for that. And I would change the name periodically just because we were becoming more cognizant of what are good search terms and whatever. It's been pretty static for a while. It's uh, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a Marvel studio or Marvel universe fan podcast, because I don't want to, I won't, don't want to be confused with an official podcast, especially with Disney lawyers and Marvel lawyers. When I say it's a fan podcast. So that's Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. on uh, Sterling Tribune. I think it was an unofficial fan arrow podcast is, I think is what I did on that. Anyway, also on Lipson, there's a subtitle. And in the subtitle, I put all that stuff in there. Now, mm. it's not searchable by Apple Podcasts or whatever, right. but it is, is a differentiation. So I put all those new shows in there as we're covering. And I changed that, but I don't change the main title slot. I don't know if it gives me anything in SEO or not. I don't think it does, but at least it would give the listener an idea of what I'm currently covering and the fact that I'm still covering that versus I'm rehashing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. over and over again, which still would give me a lot of listeners, but probably not as much as the current stuff, right. which 
I don't know if you've seen She-Hulk or not, but that first episode was pretty cool. I have not seen it yet. I'm sure that I will. All right. So you wanted to answer or respond to Liberty Dude. Yes. So it seems obvious your live comedy performances have given you the training to keep flow going. Is there a hint or practice you would offer to help new podcasters? I don't know why I'm reading. I guess it will be a podcast. This helps. Yep. This helps this, audio it, it people. It does help. Is there a hint or practice you would offer to help new podcasters to build this skill? And I'm glad Liberty asked this because this is something that I feel like a lot of people who get into YouTube videos, who get into podcasting, tend to have a tech and engineering background. You tend to be interested in AV. And so you come from the background where we have what I like to call a like digital mindset, where when you're talking about, say, audio cables, you have HDMI, and it's if the bits get through, it's exactly the same, no matter what the cable is. It doesn't matter. It's not like old analog stuff where, you know, you have to worry much more about interference or gauge or all the stuff that's going to actually affect audio in very minimal ways. And so I think people with this mindset, when they create content, the thing they focus on is raising the basics, raising the bar of what you're creating to have the least number of errors, like to have clarity to get the content across to make sure that you're not making any big mistakes, right? And the thing is with podcasting, if it's a podcast where you're fundamentally trying to entertain or relate to people, right? Like that's an analog thing. It's not about like, oh, I'm talking clearly enough for somebody to hear me. Obviously, people need to hear you on some level, but it's about being somebody that people want to listen to. It's about being a one-sided friendship for that for the people listening to the podcast. And I think there's not enough focus, especially on a certain type of new podcaster, on just being casual, on being personable, on talking like you would with a friend. And I think that's something, that's one of the bigger problems that I see from a large group of YouTubers and podcasters. So to the question of, is there something that you can practice? I mean, the biggest thing that I would say is have a project where you are working with somebody else. And I even really would suggest being in the same location, that you're not dealing with, you know, the delays and also a lot of the nonverbal cues of a flowing conversation are so important when you're trying to create a more casual sounding product. And so doing that for a little bit and just hearing how that sounds, I feel like will help you out a lot. I am not somebody who, when I started doing stand-up, I did one-liners. Now I tell stories because that's just, because ultimately it was the consequence of sort of stage fright and lack of familiarity with performing, as opposed to that being the best way to get my content apart. Uh, get my jokes across, get my, you know, what, what I want to do across. But the other way that I would do it is stream, is live stream, which is another thing that I wanted to talk about. If it's gaming, if it's whatever you're doing, the important thing is that you're doing something and you're interacting with the audience. Because so much of podcasting, so much of YouTube content, for somebody who's not used to it can come across as wooden 
And just having somebody ask you a question, somebody, you know, asking about your live comedy performances and then responding to it, responding to another person, you're going to more naturally talk to that person than you would if you're just, you know, in a room staring at a camera who, <laughs> who doesn't give you a lot when you're looking into it. That's my advice. I don't know if any of that's useful or actionable, but I think streaming really is. I'm just knowing Liberty, dude. I'm guessing you're not going to invite somebody into your living room, but and but creating a stream, I think, is a good is a good practice to get that skill. It's one of the things that we think it has been successful on better podcasting is Stephen and I will be able to riff off of each other. And when we're talking about a very technical thing and droning on for too long, the other one of us will step in and say something comical to kind of break it up and we'll laugh and then go on. And we think that helps out with the entire audience there. So yeah, what he said. So <laughs> we're not done with your podcast yet. So I like the favorite name of your podcast, by the way, is failure to adapt. I love that because you're talking about film to book adaptations or TV shows or some sort of IPs across the board there. Yes. Great name for a podcast. I've listened to at least, I think it was episode 300 that you're doing on the Tom Cruise mega hit, Live, Die, and Repeat. <laughs> it is very or, much not 300. We have not, it's season three, probably episode, I forget, episode four or something. But we've only done three seasons of that. No, wait, two seasons? Two seasons of it, 13 episodes each. So we've done about 26 episodes so far, and season three is about to come out. But yeah. Fantastic premise for a show. And I love what you guys do on there. How did you come up with the premise of that show? And how'd you find your co-host? I absolutely did not come up with the premise of the show. That was all Maggie Takuda Hall, who is my co-host on that show. She's an author. She is a great author. And you can look up her books. I believe her most recent one, her most recent novel is The Mermaid, Witch, and the Sea. She also has some children's books that are amazing. But if you like this audience, Mermaid, Witch, and the Sea, great fantasy YA book that I recommend checking out. And I think she's got another one coming out. So we were both in the Bay Area scene. I actually threw, threw Ivan Hernandez. He was trying to get more on the writing side of things. And he's a good friend of mine. So I would go to the events and sort of I, I started doing those shows. And I was on a couple of shows with her. And we just met that way. I'm trying to think which. It was called Gimme Fiction. It was a show called Gimme Fiction where it was half comics, half professional writers who would come in and had a prepared piece just for that event. And that is how we met. We got along. She had been on Boars Gordon Swords a couple times and she was looking for somebody to do this podcast with her. It's something we did started during the pandemic. And obviously she's a published author, has a bunch of great author friends. I'm a comic. I have zero published books <laughs> at all. <laughs> And I have experience producing and putting out podcasts. So it was something she actually pitched me, sent me a document with the idea of it. So it was completely hers, pretty much, you know, aside from feedback, fully formed. And I have to give credit to her uh, husband, Adam, who's a cool guy. Adam Wolf came up with Failure to Adapt when we were kicking around names. And I, you know, <laughs> I messaged a couple of friends who are in the military and asked them if it was offensive. And they said no. And I was like, all right, let's do it. Great. And then... The only other podcast that I'm aware of that you did was a political podcast called Bunker Politics, but you no longer do that yes, because of that the stress an, involved. That was an interesting project. I, that's definitely unique because like, it doesn't sound like anything to me is basically the same as Boars Gorn Swords 
failure to adapt is, you know, it's creative. It's, oh, somebody pilot fights. I didn't <laughs> pass that along. I, I didn't include another one uh, that I realized after I sent that to you. But pilot fight was a, a really fun concept that, uh, <laughs> sorry to get said, but it was essentially a tournament. The idea was we'd watch all the new pilots that came out that year and we'd set it up as a bracket. So, and if it made it through the first level of the breakout, we would watch the second episode of all of those mm. shows. And okay. so we would do, each episode would be two shows that were going head to head and then people would vote on them just being via Twitter poll. And my host, Katie Kristen, was literally one of the funniest people in, in my life. Like just one of the crazy funniest people. And I failed her. At that point, I was doing bunker politics, which was doing very good numbers. And I was doing Boars Going Swords Weekly. And it was my third podcast that I was producing a week. And I loved the concept. I think Katie Kirsten's one of the funniest people I know. It was so much fun doing it with her. But eventually, it was the numbers were like, I mean, I, I don't want to say the specifics just because it's done, but it was, it was lower than I'd hoped. And I just eventually was like, it, doing three a week is killing me, just absolutely mm-hmm. killing me. And so I regret, because, especially because we ended up, I really think the pain point was bunker politics. And I think if I would have, ended that sooner i might have been able to continue on with pilot fight which i i really enjoyed at one point in time i was doing seven shows a week now i wasn't producing That's all seven many. shows That's oh yeah many. so on better podcasting episode 50 we did the golden rules of hobby podcasting there were 15 of them so it's not one specific rule i think it's like two or three or something like that but i put in there one rule and it's persisted as the golden rule of hobby podcasting but it's not it's one of 15 And it is, if you're doing a hobby podcast and it's not full-time, your max is two. That's all you get. Yeah. Two a week. Now, if you're doing a monthly release or whatever, you can do more than two total podcasts. But all you really have time for is two. And if you're doing the correct promotion and interacting with the community and then living your life, maybe two a week is too much for you as well. And maybe you should just do one. So that's a golden rule of hobby podcast, but we have, I have now dwindled it down from seven down to two yeah. <laughs> and I've, after years so that I made this rule in 2016. Yes. 2016. I made the rule and it took me five to six years to get it down to two <laughs> from seven. But yeah, those were some crazy weeks. And the only way I did that is because I had teams on each individual podcast. Yeah. It wasn't just two people. It was like three or four per show. And we were able to, to do that. So, yeah, I, I understand how more than two is too many for you. But, hey, you can bring it back. Westworld's done, right? <laughs> so you can bring back Pilot Fights. Yeah, Pilot Fight. I think that, that ended a while ago now. But so with Bunker Politics, so we started it basically when Trump was elected. The idea, which is what it became, was a mental catalog of two liberals in Trump's America. So it was me and Ivan, my Boars Gorn Swords podcasting co-host and so we were just talking about the things that happened in the news that week and it required me to spend you know at least an hour if not several hours every day sort of just keeping up on the news just to narrow down what we're going to talk to and it's so toxic being that on top of the news i mean because a lot of the stuff that's happening is just like minutiae that actually doesn't matter that's churn for you know to get clicks on web pages but it's getting clicks on web pages because people are very mad at it. And so it's people that it's stuff that people cared about and wanted to hear about. 
And what surprised me, and I, listen, I have no idea what it was like to listen to that podcast, but the people who listened to that, and we had thousands of listeners at the time, like really loved that podcast. And it really was clearly doing something for them that was a greater service than I have provided in podcasting outside of it. And it's the, it's the reason we kept doing it as long as we did. But it was just like, yeah, I was depressed every week. Just staying on top of the news and, you know, so I could curate what we wanted to talk about in our, I forget how long they were, 30 to 45 minutes. I don't think it was much longer than that. But yeah, I mean, and, I, and since then, it's funny because I've seen people start similar podcasts and you know, I can warn them, but I'd, so far, all of them just burn out. Anybody now who I just see doing, you know, a political show constantly and they seem insane. I'm like, yeah, that seems like what would happen if you just kept doing that long enough. Well, there are some political podcasts that I I know about that have persisted, but they do so because they're either they take longer in between episodes or congressional dish, for example. Oh, yeah. I mean, professionally produced ones. Yeah, I think that can. But she's. She started out as a hobby too, and she started out just reading the bills in Congress and just trying oh, wow. to talk to them on biased. And she found out a lot of information. And I could tell that she is not a professional because there's some things that she says. I'm like, yeah, okay, that doesn't pass the smell test, but she's a single podcaster. So yeah, she's allowed to make those, in my opinion, mistakes in her assessments as she goes along, but she has a huge following. So You'd stumbled on something that I, it's on the list that I wanted to talk about that I find fascinating is with podcasting, you have a medium that is very, you know, relative to traditionally extremely cheap to get into, and you can reach a large audience in a way that you were never able to before, you know, very much like YouTube, obviously, where all of a sudden you can create visual content and reach people that before 2005, you would have needed to get a TV show greenlit to like get this video content in front of people. And so something that I find fascinating is what niches emerge in podcasting that I would have never thought of. No radio station would have ever greenlit it. And I think rightly, like, I don't think they were out of line to not produce these shows. Mm. I mean, no, but like when you're saying mistake, like when I hear what, what's, with, uh, I'm spacing on a shame, but what's the biggest history podcast that anybody's making? Hardcore history. Hardcore is that what history. You're thinking? He sounds insane to me. Like mm-hmm. if he had come to me at a radio station, and was like, I want to talk for four hours about, <laughs> about once uh, every six months yeah, <laughs> about Rome. I would have been like, get out of here! Like, stop it. That's not a thing anybody wants to listen to. It's impossible to produce. You're an insane person. Leave my studio right now. Like it's, and he's the biggest. Biggest thing on the planet. Like, he's the biggest, uh, like, history, audio content. Like, he has so many, you know, uh, not imposters, but <laughs> people who are imitating. Imitators. There we go. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the time, the stuff that we see as, like, that's absolutely a barrier. Like, if you don't do that, nobody's going to listen to it. If it's a type of content that people just really want, people will go for it. I mean, it's, Talking about when I got into podcasting as a stand-up comic, there were actually two podcasts. There's WTF, and then there was this podcast started by this comics comic 
who like wasn't that big at the time, Bill Burr. Literally at the time, I have no idea if they're still online. He was like talking into his laptop. It is the most god awful production I've ever heard in my life. But because it was content that people just like wanted and it filled this niche that was just unserved in terrestrial radio, it was just like, oh, it just blew up. And, you know, he's a voice of a generation, hilariously funny, all that stuff. But like, besides that, <laughs> you know. So, but with, with podcast niches, so there's, there's podcasters I listen to where I'm like, the way they're speaking right now <laughs> is insane. And I would have stopped them if they were a friend of mine. And they become hugely popular. Uh, there's, I, w- I won't mention <laughs> names because I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. But there's a wildly popular podcast, probably the most popular podcast in the past three years among my friend group. And one of the hosts, half the time is just talking, you know, voice memo recorder on their iPhone. Right? Like, they actually got a producer recently, and their audio got so much better. I'm uh, so grateful. But that's me personally. Like, clearly, it was not an impediment to their podcast growing and finding its audience. So, I don't know. Like, it's, I try not to be, I have friends who, like, I've become known as, like, an audiophile. And I don't, I am as a hobby. Like, I've just spent so much time on, like, audio equipment and, and spent so much time listening critically to things that certainly I notice when audio is bad, it distracts me, you know, and I have a hard time enjoying it. And I know that there's other people out there like that. Uh, Absolutely. That's a true thing, but it's a tiny group of people. And like, so when I am putting out a podcast, what I try to keep in mind is that it just like has to be over that level of quality that, you know, 95 percent of people won't even notice that there's a problem with it i mean i know for me personally i would turn off the radio when they had call-in shows like i just couldn't stand somebody calling in on their stupid telephone like that (laughs) bothered me and clearly it doesn't bother anybody else like there's hugely popular radio and npr call-in shows when i'm talking about like getting good enough audio quality i mean i think there's a small enough number of things you can do to make it sound great Really, like I do, I do mean compared to <laughs> the type of things that are out there, like really very, very good. And it just doesn't take that much effort. And that's what I want people to get to. I don't need people to buy an Earthworks microphone. I don't need people to buy, you know, a Rode Procaster 2 Pro. You can get into this space very simply and with like free software audio. Pro- yeah. <laughs> Roadcaster Pro 2. You can yeah. read it right there. Roadcaster Pro 2. <laughs> And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's plenty. It's plenty. So you touched on a couple of things. I hate telephone calls. I hate them. They make me so mad. So you touched on a couple of things. First of all, it was that the niche podcast, whatever, that's actually what got me excited about podcasting because at the time I was trying to listen to any talk about sci-fi. I was like science fiction. There's gotta be a show on maybe late on Saturday night in the radio or whatever there was back in the twin cities. I'm not living in the twin cities right now. And I wasn't at the time. So it was like 2006, 2007, I I need to find some sci-fi. I could only find it in podcasting and sci-fi is not the only genre. There's quilters out there that would have never have seen the light of day, except for maybe on some obscure NPR program or Whatever genre you have, I love the sailing YouTube community, and some of those have podcasts that would have never have happened 
in the level that it's happening outside of YouTube and podcasting. So I'm very grateful for that. The other thing that you stepped into was audio quality. You sound amazing, by the way. Oh, thank what you. gear are you using right now? First of all, it took me a long time to find this. And I quick aside, because I do have, it's not plugged in right now, but I do have an M99 buyer M99. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I purchased from uh, a friend on the internet, uh, the official buyer M99. Wow. How'd you find that one? <laughs> <laughs> and one thing I just, this is just a quick aside. If anybody has an M99 and like me, I was just like, I want the, you know, first party one, the road road makes basically one that fits all their mics from the We're talking about windscreen, right? Yes. Windscreen, excuse me. But theirs is a much more open foam model. And then let me see if I can get it in the lights. Uh, can you see the diameter of these yes. two? Yes, I can. The diameter of the road one is exactly perfect for the biodynamic m99 like it fits it's just a little bit tight it fits in there perfectly it has a much more open phone just use this this one has a much more closed foam and it re- to get it on and off you really have to like pull it over the top in a way that doesn't make any sense to me so glad i got it thank you so much for sending it my way but yeah if anybody's out there get the road one full disclosure I had been looking for an M99 for a while, and there was a time where I thought I was going to buy one. I got one really cheap on Amazon. It was a price mistake, and they canceled all the orders. Well, in the meantime, I had purchased the windscreen thinking, oh, I'll get an M99 at some point in time. Uh, M99, they're not making them anymore. And quite frankly, I just lost, with all the good microphones, new microphones out there, I just lost the desire to go get an m99 so i'm stuck here with this windscreen and i'm cleaning out the office a couple months ago and red is on the podcasting discord channel and he said hey i got an m99 i'm like hey i got the m99 windscreen you want it and he said yeah so that is my windscreen that i used to have i never used it it was still in the box it didn't come sealed but it was still in the box and i sent it to him so uh full disclosure I gave that to him or he bought it for me, I guess is the the correct terminology because he wouldn't take it for free. No. Anyway. So you sound great and you just showed the M99, but you're not using a bear dynamic. I almost almost hooked it up, but I wanted, I didn't want to change my setup too much for a live stream. That seemed like a bad idea. But so this microphone I have had for about six months, the Earthworks SR314. And it is amazing. I'm very pleased with it. And that is going into a Motu 624, which is a great piece of machinery and I think underutilized. People don't seem to recommend it or know about it. Now they have the Motu Ultralight MK5, which I think it's, I mean, it, on almost every other access is probably better. But there is one thing I really like about the 624. And that is they paid for the licensing to use a LA-2A emulator for the compressor on the group channels. So it has a full channel strip DSP. You can't install plugins like Universal Audio, but it has a really great and very intensive, huge mixer that you can do almost anything that you could imagine on it. Each mic input has the full noise gate compressor you know faders eq it's got group sends it's got aux sends it's got as many basically virtual channels as you want 
I mean, that's forget. It's got an insane amount of input output, but the way I have it set up for streaming is I basically have my input channel has a, a limiter on it. So I run it basically where I have a compressor set to threshold and I have it a ratio of 10, which is as high as it goes. And then I send that to, or and any amount of mics, if I have friends here streaming with me, that all goes to the group channel, which has an LA-2A leveler, which I think has a very nice, much more natural sounding compression than a lot of the compressors that you get in hardware compressor setups. And so that's basically all I have. I've got the noise gate on. I've got essentially a limiter to take the top end off because I'm a loud piece of crap. I'm a very loud person, so I need to diminish that dynamic range. And then the, the leveler to sort of get some smooth, nice compression coming out of it. So I'm on their website right now, introducing the 624. It's a 16 by 16 Thunderbolt USB 3 audio interface with Thunderbolt 30, 2. Thunderbolt 2. <laughs> and it, 32 simultaneous audio channels. Now, there's only two XLR inputs. Correct. But there's several line inputs and it can do ADAT. I've been happy when I've used it with the Moto M2, which is behind me. If you're watching the video version of this, I've been happy with that. I'm not using that right now. I'm using the Rodecaster Pro 2. And if you look at the price points, the Rodecaster Pro 2 is in the um, $699 price point. The Moto 624 is in the $800, the $795 price point. So $100 difference between the two, but it sounds like they do similar sort of things with the digital processing. So what I would actually say is I, I'm at the podcasted review uh, just came out today yeah, today for the roadcaster pro two. And the one thing that he mentions that I agree with is I actually think as a piece of equipment, the feature set for the price of the roadcaster pro two is night and day better than the Mo 264, except that I like the quality of the compression on this one. That's the only thing that I really prefer about it. And also, the Mo 264 is a half rack size. It is incredibly, incredibly portable, and that's important to me. I like, I understand, I like the hardware knobs. I like the control that that gives you and makes it accessible. It's not like the web browser insane mixer is the easiest user interface, but I think for me, just having the smaller size is, is worthwhile given the space that I have to work with. And I can take it on the road with me. I've recorded from hotel rooms and whatever <laughs> um, with my, you know, half rack uh, Moto 264. And now they have, so they do have the ultra light MK5, which a huge upgrade for that is, I mean, the 624 is kind of old, came out 2016. It boots kind of slow and it requires a powered supply. The Moto 264, I believe, is bus-powered. I might be wrong. I think it's bus-powered. It's got much better preamps. It's got 74 decibels of gain. But the one thing that's, that is different about it is that they no longer have the LA-2A leveler as part of it, which bumps me out. Well, when I go mobile, I either use the Samsung Q2U or the Rode Procaster with the PodTrack P4. That's my mobile setup. It works great for what I do. But if I wanted to sound pretty good, I've been thinking about taking the Rodecaster Pro 2 with me, but I just don't want to mess it. So it's going to stay on my desk and I'm just going to use the PodTrack P4. But if I ever mm -hmm. gifted a 624, <laughs> I will take it and I'll yeah. go on the road with it. Uh, the difference is I like the hardware recording as well. It's great. Yeah. The built-in, yeah. 
it does the 624 have a built-in recorder? I don't think no, it does, No, no, I was right? saying it's great on the Roadcaster Pro 2. That's awesome. And the PodTrack, yeah. Yeah. All right, so if you could have told yourself one thing to make it easier when you started podcasting in 2011, what would you have told yourself? Oh, that's so interesting. So when I started podcasting, I honestly had pretty good instincts when I look back. There's a lot of things that I just wish I had known, but that's all stuff that came in time. You know, just literally, I wasn't great at setting levels, you know, like stupid stuff like that when you start out. Um, what do I wish that I knew starting out? I got, ah, that's a, you know what? Okay, I got one. I wish I had focused more on thinking of the audience as a community. I think I was somebody, I am somebody who just like, Sort of, it doesn't come to me naturally to say, oh, oh, it feels like hubris to me to say, like, I'm at the center of this thing. I'm going to make it hub, it a hub where people can connect and we can talk about this thing. It would never have occurred to me, like, now it's very common to set up like Discord servers where people can meet and chat about things. And that I think is a great thing to do. And that's just not something that I understood as a possibility in sort of the podcaster audience relationship. But that's how you get your best fans. That's how you take something that's a very one-way medium and make it much more tactile and friendly and just, um, you know, a more human place to be. Usually the community is one of the biggest reasons that we purport to do a hobby podcast for. Obviously you're monetizing yours, but it's the same yeah. sort of of look is you're trying to develop that community around your show really quick a couple of, of techie questions sure what do you use to connect because yeah obviously you're podcasting with other people that are distance from you so what are you using to connect and record to those people and yeah let's start with that yeah uh good question so i an interesting thing this is hilarious in retrospect but one of the reasons I even was like, oh, this might be an interesting, that Game of Thrones might be an interesting thing. I mentioned they all sounded terrible. The reason they all sounded terrible was because they were all doing Skype call-ins at the time. Mm. Um, and again, that for me, that's like a no. I just hear that. I stop. I delete it. I throw it away. I burn the computer it was playing on. Just never again. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, that's just a hard no for me. And so I was like, I'm going to have good audio quality. But my only conception of that at the time was the people will be in the room. And so all I had was this recorder, the R16, that recorded locally. So I couldn't, I wouldn't have even known how to bring somebody in remotely at the time. And so that was a founding statement of the podcast. And because, of course, you know, that one went well so quickly, I kind of like anything that I decided in the beginning, I was like, don't change it because that's. You know, like, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil the magic formula. I don't, you know, I felt like if I touched anything, it would just all fall apart, which was stupid. So when we record remotely, we have done it every which way possible. I knew that when the Zencaster guy was starting up, I met him, I helped him beta test a bunch of stuff early on, you know, did a bunch of calls with him. So we used Zencaster for a while. And then once I was confident, so it was my co-host moved away is what happened. We used to both live in San Francisco. He moved down to LA and we still wanted to do the podcast. So I was like, all right, we're going to figure out this double end thing. For the most of it, we've just done a video chat and he knows how to record on his end. Like I literally set the game knobs and I was like, if you move, mark it, don't touch it. And he knows how to get those files to me. 
So by video chat, are you talking about like FaceTime or something? We've done Skype before. We do Zoom now. Okay. But I mean, so that part, because we're not even using that to record backups. That's strictly a medium so we can talk to each other. Mm-hmm. That's uh, not the important part of it. Though I have recently started looking for failure to adapt since we have so many guests and, you know, they're not familiar with, <laughs> with the technology. But I've looked at not remotely.fm. I'm blanking on. It's the Riverside, one that, maybe? Riverside is the one I've been looking at yeah. that I've been testing. So I might go to that. Well, since you're familiar with Zencaster, just so you know, Zencaster came out with an entirely revised version two, basically, this week as mm. we're talking. So you might want to at least check it out. I've been asking people if they've had audio sync issues or recording droppings over on Reddit, because I'm a moderator over on the R podcasting subreddit. Got it. And so far, everybody's said, no, actually, it's really cool. And I really haven't seen a lot of Zencaster dump my recording sort of thing that I used to see a lot of. So I don't know. You might want to check that out and see if it's something you want. I use StreamYard. Obviously, we're using StreamYard right now. And because of the pandemic, just about everybody knows the term Zoom, at least. Yes, so, yes. You know, wh- whatever you feel comfortable with, I'm not a big one to tell. You must use this. So what do you use for your podcast media host service? Oh, Libsyn. Libsyn's great. Okay. Libsyn's perfect. I wouldn't say perfect, but they're good. It's, I honestly like people do not understand how hard it is to create a reliable service, a reliable web service. And the fact like people log into Libsyn, which they've revamped it. I don't know if you're using the new interface now. It's better. Five. Libsyn five. Libsyn five. Yeah. Yeah. It's better, but it's, I think people are underrating how hard it is to have the level of uptime that they have had. And I like, I'm somebody who used to work in that industry. Well, storage specifically where I'm aware of uptime. And when I think about what they have done, I'm kind of blown away. And like when somebody's like, we have a cool web interface. I'm like, call me in 10 years when you've had anywhere close to the level of uptime that Libsyn has. And like you said, they're not perfect and they do a lot of annoying things. And I don't even necessarily like their executive leadership, but they are doing something that I need technically, and most of my listeners don't, none of my listeners care about it or even know what it is, and it does the part that I need it to, and it does it very cheaply, especially even when I had a huge listenership. I did the math on how much it would cost me to like host it on my own, you know, Amazon S3 account, and it was just like thousands of dollars a month is what it would have cost me, and it's costing me $20 a month on Libsyn. So... If you are starting out, I just always tell people, just just use Libsyn. I think I feel good about that. The only caveat I have on Libsyn right now is actually corporately, and it's not really their corporate leadership necessarily, but they failed to file with the SEC since September of 2020. It is almost September 2022 right now. Oh, wow. Suppose, yeah, supposedly they're running through something right now, but their stock has not been able to be traded for several months. I haven't checked in the last few weeks, mm. but every financial advisor i've talked to about it says oh yeah this is not good they're they're looking to pay out or they're looking to be bought out or something like that i have no knowledge whatsoever it's not my area of expertise but because experts have said oh no i i give a cause now that's give pause to new people like if it was a year from now and everything was settled maybe but there are other options right now there's uh Captivate, there's Transistor, there's um, something that starts with an S, I can't remember. It's not StreamYard. 
Mm. I can't remember. There's so many out there right now that, and they all have some. I'll tell you a weird hosting story that I feel like literally you might be the only person who cares about this. Uh, So I, when I, when I started, uh, you know, again, like you said, like the Libsyn's not perfect. And so when I started, it doesn't sound like anything to me. That was the only podcast I was like, uh, I knew a friend of a friend had a podcasting host and it sounded interesting. And it was Pippa. Yeah. Uh, Which then failed, right? (laughs) No, it was purchased. Yes. Uh, But so what happened from my perspective is I created my podcast, which as I say, I don't do any episodes between seasons. And literally I went back and was like, Pippa doesn't exist anymore. And I was like, what? And my podcast was still online. So I was like, well, somebody's taking my money. <laughs> like go and figure out that it was Acast now. Right. Like it didn't even auto direct me when I went to, cause I knew the URL. I went Pippa.io and it was like, nothing happened. And I was like, that's not good. And then, and so now I'm still, cause I haven't taken the time to move it. I'm still on Acast now. So that's funny. Yeah. That's, that's terrifying though. When you're just like, Oh, sh- what? Like I was, I am, you know, obviously I logged in, changed my login because who knows how they rotated all that. But I usually ask everybody, what's your approach to your show graphics? Do you have mm-hmm. any approach to that? All of our show graphics. Oh, show, you mean like the logos? The logos, the uh, show art, you know, whatever you use for your podcast. As well, so primarily it's the logos. Those are all, all of them are done by Nicole Peterson, who I don't think, I don't even know if she's. On. I think she just does professional stuff now, but once in a while I bug her for a new one and give her some money and she gives me a new logo. They're all similar styles. I will say, I will give one tangible piece of advice about logos, and that is especially if you are on a topic that a lot of other people are covering. I feel like this was important, but we, I went, I googled Game of Thrones. They were all black, silver, or red. Every single one of them. And if you look up Boar's Gorn Swords, our logo is teal. It still has blood on it. You know, it's still clearly... A Game of Thrones, but if you Google Game of Thrones, ours like screams off of the page. As and I just the only thing I said is I li- I loved her art design. She listened to the show and she asked us if we were interested. And I was and the one she sent us and I was like these are amazing, but I was like, can we have it not be black? I was like any color. And she sent us some in teal, orange, and I just really like the teal. But if everybody's you know if you're covering a television show. And everybody's matching the show's visual design. Like, you can match the visual design and have a different color, and that will just really make your podcast stand out. Right. Like, you could be in the color of the court in Tyrion's Landing versus the red, silver, whatever. Yeah. All right, so you wanted to talk about some things, audio-wise at least, and something that was that caught my attention was the plugins. So you were talking about the DSP before yeah. and, the, and the stuff on the 624. So why do you prefer software plugins to hardware? Very, I mean, so one thing I mentioned is I really like the tone of the compression on the 624, the LA-2A. And what it really comes down to for me is that it really is the compressor. A lot of people, you know, just because this stuff is an insane amount of money if you start getting into hardware, the most of the compression that you get is a, you know, a DBX variety, like the 286S compressor. And that gives you, I, I will give it credit because this is something that I used to underrate. It gives you classic radio voice, right? Like when you, you sound like you're on the radio station, but I think that is a terrible sound. I think it's a terrible quality of compression. 
I don't think it sounds natural at all. And when you're using a hardware setup, there are compressors that sound great. I mean, you could get an LA-2A. There's even the RNC 1776, which sounds great. And, you know, it's only a few hundred bucks, but that's just the compressor. Then you also need an expander. Then you also need this other thing. And software plugins, if you're doing a podcast, sound amazing. One of my big things is if you're doing a podcast and you're looking on YouTube, you're going to find a lot of people giving advice. And if you're new, it might not even occur to you that they're a musician giving advice about some types of things versus somebody who's primarily doing, or it's maybe it's somebody doing voiceover. And like, that's a very specific niche. And like, it has a lot of requirements where like, you don't need a whisper room to create a podcast. I do have acoustic paneling. But there's still reflections in here. There's still a little bit of uh, room noise. And it's completely fine. It's not an issue because of what this is made for. And I feel like that way about software plugins, where people will be like, you know, iffy about it. And I'm like, wait, where do you work? And it's like, oh, I work in a recording studio for musicians. And I'm like, it's so, so, so good (laughs) if you're talking about a podcast. It's just so much better than it needs to be. So, I mean, so what I have is a JS Auto Expander free. I use the Aria EQ for the high pass filter free. I use the from Analog Obsession. They do free plugins and you can support them on Patreon, which you should if you use a bunch of theirs like I do. But if you're just starting out, you can download it and it's not, you know, just from their website. Free sounds amazing, just a great quality of compression that is so much better than 286S for example. You keep saying this about the 286S. They're not hooked up, but I have two of them underneath my left monitor right here. I have one in my closet. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, it was part of my progression, but I just, I just noticed, you know, it wasn't something that I noticed initially, but like once I heard my own voice in it, I was like, oh, I don't like that. I know how I sound and I don't like that quality. And then I started hearing the quality of the compression, the overemphasized breaths. If you have a voice that has a lot of texture in it, in my mind, I always say it makes your voice sound like a chainsaw. Like it sounds like you're just, there's clarity. It'll just like cut through things, but it is, it, I don't love it. And the T by Techovation, the T DSer is an excellent DSer that I think is much better than you're going to get out of any hardware product. I actually use, uh, because that hadn't been released yet. And a lot of DSers aren't very good, so I use uh, the FabFilter Pro DS. It was the only plugin I paid for for a long time because it's amazing. But it's ridiculously expensive, so you don't need that when you're starting, though. So, like, software plugins, I think, are incredible. What you can get for literally no cost. And I just can't speak highly enough about them. And I know people just don't want... People want to just put it to tape. They don't want to worry about it. But also, you know, you end up in situations all the time, if you don't have a studio, if you're recording in your living room, if you're recording in a room that you can't just leave like that all the time, that you end up with audio problems that are unexpected. And if you didn't print it, like you can save that audio a lot of the time. And I think it's a great way to go. I think software plugins are amazing and just underappreciated. I use a lot. And the biggest suite that I use is the Isotope rx standard yeah i use uh, rx9 i believe i use right now and 10's coming out soon so i don't know if i'll take the jump or not but i'm looking forward to them having more vocal 
focused. Like nine was a big jump for them. They they did a lot of things like they did a vocal declicker mm-hmm. in their suite versus just the normal declicker, which is really meant for uh, music. So yeah, I've been pretty happy with that and how it's cleaned up and everything like that. I do like the radio voice on my voice though, because it lends authority. I have a quiet voice to begin with and it just helps bring it out. And then I have a, what's turned out to be a good size, low end voice. It's not a really big, deep bass voice, but it's a, uh, has substantial tenor. So I like the electro voice RA320 because it helps my voice be heard a little bit better than a mumbling voice, which <laughs> would be if I didn't use all this stuff. So yeah, you can change your voice. Another thing is sibilance, which I had an issue with, with my own voice. So I always have to run a DS around my voice, but yeah, it's all plug-in, right? It's yeah. I did use the DBX 286S for, for a long, long time, but I used to take care of a lot of stuff in the post and talking about post-production, you use plugins in a DAW, a digital audio workstation. You have a comment here that <laughs> I was really keen on. Why are all <laughs> DAWs bad? So you go, you take that. I'm interested in your answer. Yeah. So I worked in software for a long time, and that's something that I feel rage is when software is unstable. Like if software doesn't have the functionality that it advertised, I just feel absolute rage over that on on a level that I, it's the thing that makes me the most angry that I cannot control. And I'm willing to pay money for good software. And it drives me insane that all of the most famous DAWs, like that reliability is clearly not a value that they care about. I mean, so even I paid money for a Hindenburg at one point because that's a DAW that's basically made for journalism, presumably if you're creating radio pieces or sort of NPR-style audio content. And it does a lot of really nice things for you, like the the idea of the design of that. Uh, But I, pretty early on, I was like, oh, if you are listening and you try and hit render, it crashes 100% of the time. And I sent them an email, and I was like, I had reproduction steps, I had a video. And they're like, yeah, then don't do that. And I was just like, I will never say a nice thing about your company again. If the idea that somebody could send you a way to crash the software and you would have that kind of response to it, I think is just infuriating and should not be allowed to happen. And, and the reality is they're all, they're made by domain experts and what they value is that it has the functionality. It's made by marketers who need to get the next version out that has this killer feature that's going to get people to upgrade to the paid upgrade. And the reason I use Reaper is not that it's the most simpler flex or most simple software. It's that everything that it does, it absolutely can do. And I've, I download the latest edition every time it asks me and it has never crashed on me in six years. Never once have I had a reliability problem with Reaper. And yeah, I pay for it and I cannot recommend it enough. But the kind of thing that people put up with with DAWs should not be acceptable in any software. And yeah, I don't know. I feel very strongly about that. I use Vegas Pro because it has the video component. You know, that's yep. the, the strong thing. And even though I, I don't do color correction or anything like that, it 
does the video pretty well. And then it allows you to edit in the DAW the way you would in Audition or Reaper right. or, or whatever. It's a very forgiving DAW. But I will admit, I've had a lot of crashes with it. it I even uh, built a new like $2,000 plus gaming machine. I'm like, I'm ready to not have this <laughs> crash anymore. And the first thing that I try edit in Vegas Pro, it's like, I'm like, ah, on our better podcasting discord community, we actually have channels for the most popular DAWs and we have one for Vegas Pro because that's what Steven and I use. And I was just going step by step. It's like, oh, I can't believe this is happening. So that's all still available in a channel there. You have something in here and I want to talk about it a little bit more. You talked about doing your podcast in seasons with Westworld. Yeah. But why should all podcasts have seasons? Every podcast should have seasons, especially a hobby podcast. And the reason for that is twofold. One, if you've ever gone away for a couple weeks and then come back, people miss you for a minute. And then the amount of appreciation that they have for your podcast is reinvigorating when you come back after a couple of weeks. So just to have that structure is just a great way to keep you encouraged. But more important than that, and more than that trivially, is you need to have a spot to check in, think about what you've been doing, and think about what you want to do for the next season. And how you want to change what you're doing with your podcast. And even if you want to keep doing the podcast. I think it's so easy to get into a workflow where you like know what's going to happen in the next week. And having seasons breaks that up, gives you a chance to check in with whoever else you're working on the thing with. Say like, hey, we've been doing this aspect and I don't really like this part. Or like, We've been doing this, but I'd really like to focus more in this area. Is that something that we can do? And if you don't leave a space for that, it's always going to come in second to like, hey, we got an episode to put out next week. Like, so let's look at whatever the next thing about this is and like, you know, get nose to the grindstone and get the episode out, you know? And so that everybody should create that time for consideration to make your show better, to think about what's possible with your podcast. All right. So we have a lot of stuff more to talk about, but I'm going to call it quits for tonight. I think both of us are at our limits. we got to get to bed and we got to, <laughs> you know, get ready for the next day. Is there anything that you want to say that you haven't had a chance to say tonight? And maybe we'll have you back again. No, I had a great time. It's fun to create audio content. Get into it. Try it. It's fun. All right. Thank you very much for coming on. If somebody wanted to find your stuff, is there like a central location where it's all located or where's the best place to find you? Easiest places, honestly, on Twitter, red underscore Scott. I'll post all of my podcast as they come up there. Right now, House of the Dragons, the big focus, Boar's Gore and Swords. Look that up. We've got a ton of back content for you to listen to. So get into it. Looking forward to it. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for spending your time with Red and me tonight, or whenever you're listening to this. It's ubiquitous. It's whatever time of the day you're listening to it. If you like content like this, please subscribe to the YouTube channel and like the video, or give the podcast a follow on whichever podcatcher app that you're listening to. Steve and I would greatly appreciate it. Now, next week, I'll be chatting with microphone reviewer, podcaster, and YouTube celebrity, Bandrew Scott. He does the podcasting YouTube channel. He has the Bandrew Says podcast, and he has a wonderful podcast age Discord community. 
If you have any questions for Bandrew or myself, you know, Bandrew's your man, really. So join Bandrew and myself on Tuesday, August 30th, 2022 at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, streamed on the Better Podcasting YouTube channel. In the meantime, come and join the conversation on our Discord server, betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. You can find both Stephen and myself there every day. We'll see everybody next week. Bye.